What is the first thing? I'm just going to ask you this straight away. What is the first thing that you think of when you think about spring break? Like what comes to your mind? I think about Panama City Beach. Pa- <laughs> was that was that a recent <laughs> spring break venture for you? <laughs> I that was one spring break I took in college and I think that it was like we we stayed outside of Panama City Beach, which like Panama City Beach in my mind is like the quintessential spring break experience, like the craziness of college spring break. We did not do that, but we were like, okay, we can't just be like old grandmas. We should go and drive into Panama City Beach just for like a day to see what it is. And it was just the most chaotic, crazy, like just drinking people passing out like i was like oh my god like this is nuts even when i was in college i was like this is crazy it's modern warfare yes you know truthfully i, I kind of set you up because i was like anything you would have said i feel like i would have i would have tried to roast or something like you could have been like well go, spring break for me is going to vermont and riding horseback for the weekend and i would have been like <laughs> oh god oh god <laughs> you that's i'm blown out if that's what i'm saying i'm blown out incredible <laughs> Hey, listen, I've done it before. Not for spring break, but I love a good horseback. So totally. in hindsight, so really when we think about spring break, though, we think about rest. It's a vacation. It's about friends. It's about family. But I really wanted to focus on this story because spring break is right around the corner, right? It typically falls in March or April, depending upon where you go to school or, you know, what tier of school you're in, college versus high school, et cetera. So this story actually spans... 12 years, actually more than that. Um, Let me think. 13 years, I think. Terrible at math. But 13 years of chilling mystery and then a reveal that was just... (laughs) Did you hear that horn in the background? (laughs) Did you hear that? (laughs) And then a reveal. It's like... They're doing landscaping outside and I swear to God, I'm on my last nerve. My last (laughs) nerve with these people. (sighs) 13 years of mystery here before a disturbing... Reveal is uncovered. This is the haunting story of what we know happened to 17-year-old Brittany Drexel. Do you know that name? I don't know that name, but that last name Drexel for some reason sounds familiar to me. Um, I I really, really do think that you might actually know this because I I have pictures and I'm going to send them to you straight away. But this happened in 2009. So we were were young, but I think we were definitely old enough that maybe we might have remembered hearing this on the news, but I'll give you a quick top line of the story before I send these pictures. So the premise of this really begins with a spring break trip where Brittany, just 17 years old at the time, she planned a trip with her friends. She was living up in New York and she was going to go down to South Carolina to visit Myrtle Beach. While walking between hotel resorts, there is um, a bit of a murky timeline here as to what exactly happened, but suddenly she stopped responding to her boyfriend, who she was texting, who was back home in New York. He grew concerned because this was not like her. She would never just like stop texting. She would usually close out a conversation and it became so dire, he actually threatened to call her mom because her mom didn't even know that she went down to Myrtle Beach because Brittany had told her, oh, I'm going to be going to my friend's like beach house, lake house 
nearby, like a few miles away for a spring break. He's like, I'm going to call your mom if you don't respond to me. She never did. She never responded. This was the last time anybody ever saw Brittany Drexel. So this is a deep dive into 2009 and the exact day where we know she was on foot and then something went down on Ocean Road. Does any of that kind of sound familiar? You know, it probably will because, I mean, I grew up very close to Myrtle Beach. Um, and mm-hmm. Did you I, go a lot I'm, growing up? Well, actually, the reason why we moved to North Carolina is because my dad got a job in Myrtle Beach. Um, but my dad wanted oh, us really? to go to school. Yeah, I wanted us to go to school in uh, a county in North Carolina. And so we that's why we live there. But I'm very familiar with Myrtle Beach. I feel like this is going to trigger something for me. I know. I've really got to get off this thing of like bringing you cases that are just too close to home. There's too many like <laughs> no, North Carolinian well, I mean, like, young like women with brothers. Like, oh, okay, I, yeah, I meant trigger a memory. Sorry. <laughs> not like trigger me. Um, <laughs> but it's I have I've truly been not letting up. I'm like, so Stu, she's a young woman, had brothers, North Carolina goes mis- like I'm really like laying it on thick, but I don't mean to. They just like kind of fall. Somehow they just like find their way into like the the arsenal. But that is the premise. That is the setup. I think right now I should probably send you a group of pictures. I don't want you to scroll okay. too far down because I've kind of placed these in chronological order of the story. But the first like four to five pictures are all of Brittany. So then you'll actually see what she looks like and that'll be good so I can set up some of her backstory. Um, let's see. I'm going to drop okay. this in the chat. Also, hey, Creepers. How you guys doing? Hi, Creepers. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. I, we didn't record yesterday, so we're recording day of, and I've already gotten so many messages, too. I'm so scared. Why? Because they're like, where's Just, the it's episode? Not up yet? Yeah. Sorry, Creepers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're it's like, coming. I planned my whole day of work around this. I'm like, <laughs> we're, working, we're working on it. I'm like stuttering. Oh. Okay, I've got the pictures. That. So wh- describe what you're seeing. Describe um, how she looks. Just young tan she's got i mean she's very pretty she's got blonde hair bright blue eyes makeup on she looks like she's she kind of looks like she's like not um like a party girl in the sense like uh, it's a bad thing but like she's probably a pretty popular girl i would imagine in school she was described as a popular girl the pictures also read as like very very 2009 to me like this is exactly what i remember from like middle school like this is the look But I'm going to jump into a bit of the backstory. I just wanted to give you at least some top-line visuals so you have an idea of just how young she is. I know pictures can't convey how small she is, but she's actually very short. She's a very tall, or sorry, short girl. (laughs) Immediately go back on my word. I go, she's actually very short, an extremely tall girl. (laughs) My God, help me. I'm I'm on like my third cup of coffee too. I have no excuse. That's okay. So before we get into it, I will just say, welcome back, everybody, again to Creep Time, the podcast with Silas Dean and Stu. We are your hosts. We're so, so happy you are here for a Friday episode. Um, I, we have a lot to tell you about, like, our New York trip, but I think we'll save that for an After Dark episode. And again, for everybody who cannot see these pictures, if you do want to follow along with the pictures of the case, you can go to Creep Time, the podcast on Reddit, and you can follow the whole case in chronological order with the imagery of Brittany where she was last seen, some of our suspects, etc. For anybody who is sticking around and is new here, 
please make sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast because we don't want you to miss a beat. And as we've said in the last couple of episodes, if you are not signed up for the Creep Time newsletter, let us assure you, this is the month to do that. Creepers. The seriousness in which we must convey <laughs> that you must sign up for that newsletter this month, it knows no bounds. Let us say that. Silas will come that- in, will come to your door and sign you up himself if he doesn't see your ass on the sheet. I was like, I hope that was compelling enough. I was like, damn, I didn't expect the delivery. I was like, I'll just say it off the cuff, but let me be clear to you all. <laughs> I was sitting in my apartment yesterday and this is corny as hell, but I was sitting here. I started crying thinking about the creepers. Stop. I, How, like, over the top is that? I really do freaking love them, though. Like, I saw the sweetest message. I think it was on uh, Reddit, like, before we hopped on today, just about a creeper oh, shoot, really? that, um, yeah, like, a creeper that I think had just been having, like, a really tough time at work and that oh. listening to us was helping him get through it. And we're right there with y'all, <laughs> like... Sometimes I feel like us getting to do this every week with each other. It's like that's our sacred time, too. And it's just so special to know that it like extends. Like I I really do sometimes imagine like them like sitting next to me, like as we're listening to you tell the story. Me too. Me too. Yes. I always imagine them. They're like the third person in the room kind of thing. And I don't know, like just as of late, I don't know if it's because they're more active on Reddit or in the comments or on Insta, but I, and I have so many like faces to the names now that I feel so oddly close to them. And I feel like I really get them. I really understand what kind of cases and stories they like. And I don't know, I was just like sitting and I was like, I'm so happy and so grateful that we get to do this, that we get to come up with things that they love. We get to share stories that they want to hear. And as much as, as you love it, you know, like it brings us just as much joy. Let us assure you. Yeah, no, it really does. And then as you were sobbing, all of a sudden it was <laughs> ice cream man pulled you straight out of that. Well, I had my little, I had my run in the other night when I went out to the car in the rain oh, and right. he was on the street, not even playing the music. And I was like, oh, this is sinister as hell. <laughs> Just the headlights staring at me from down the street. I was like, this is dark, but dork. Anywho. We can jump back into the case. I just wanted to give a, a little token of appreciation on behalf of Stu and I because we love yeah. you guys and we can't wait to hopefully one day meet you. So with that, I'm like back into the newsletter. No, so are you ready to jump into the backstory? <laughs> I'm I'm ready. I'm staring at her face right now. Just like it looks, uh, I know I always say this, but she looks so promising and I know this is about to take a really dark turn. So, ooh. It is. It's it's kind of strange. Um, I mean, we've already covered Natalie Holloway, but I kept thinking about Natalie's case because that also fell within, you know, line of spring break, or I guess it wasn't technically spring break. I think it was like post high school trip. I'd have to refresh mm-hmm. myself, but Brittany's case had like a really odd parallel to hers in my mind. So let me give you a little more context just on Brittany Drexel and who exactly she was and what her life was like at the time. So Brittany was born on October 7th, 1991, which would put her at 17 at the age of her dis- or the time of her disappearance. Her parents were John and Don. They were two teenagers at the time that they had conceived Brittany. And I think from the time she was a baby, her father, John, biological father, he had walked out. 
basically left the picture, couldn't handle it. So Dawn was a single mom. And I think Brittany was the eldest. She was the oldest sister uh, among her siblings. But it was not long after that that Dawn had actually found and married a man named Chad Drexel. And he would actually go on to eventually adopt Brittany. And he raised her as if she were his own daughter. And that's where she adopted the last name Drexel. That's the reason. So as she grows up, she's kind of thought of and described as kind of a wonder kid. She was a fiercely competitive athlete. Um, She had joined multiple sports teams, which would carry on from middle school through high school. And a lot of people would commend her because she was very fast. I'm not exactly sure which sports she participated in, but people had described her as like she was an impressive athlete because of her speed. Mm. But despite being categorized as a student athlete, the folks who knew Brittany actually described her, you can probably get this from the pictures, any of you guys who look at it, as a girly girl. She loved all things cosmetics. She loved makeup. She loved hair. She always got her nails done. She loved to dress up. And one of the most striking and distinctive features, as you can probably see, and what she would accentuate with makeup were her eyes. Mm -hmm. She had these really intense, like, sapphire-colored contacts that she would wear. And I was kind of shocked to read a little bit deeper into her backstory and her friends who knew her at the time for the reasoning as to why she wore these colored contacts. She was actually born with persistent hyperplastic primary vitreous, I think is how it's pronounced, but effectively it's a disorder that occurs where the blood vessels in the developing eye of a fetus, they fail to regress normally before birth. So because of this, she would have several surgeries as a child, and ultimately I think her, it's either her left or her right eye, I can't remember. It's her right eye. Her right eye, because she would cover it with her bangs, was completely blind and would often drift. And it also had like physical markings on it, I think, from past surgeries and from cataracts that would occur. So she wore these blue contacts to kind of like disguise that. And she would use tricks with makeup to help sort of help sort of like accentuate the positive parts about herself that she felt confident in. And she found it as a way to both express herself and really make herself feel beautiful. So she was thinking about going into cosmetology. Something I had no idea, because I knew a little bit about this case, but I did not know that piece of it. Well, it's funny you say that, because when I first opened that photo, I thought it was just like maybe the flash had caught her pupil in kind of a funny light, but you can totally see it in these, especially this first photo. Yeah, yeah, you can. I, I thought that too. I was like, wow, I was like, before I actually had read a bit onto this, I was like, those are like really, really striking, like blue eyes, kind of like Miley yes. Cyrus type eyes yes, was the first thing yes. I was thinking of. And with like the dark eyeliner, it just really makes them her eyes pop. Exactly. Very, very 2009. So yeah, this is the context of what we know about Brittany, right? She came from a loving family. She had great friends. She was popular at school. She even had a boyfriend at the time who was completely devoted to her. Things were positive in her life until trouble would strike in 2008. Before I go any further, how do you feel just about her overall backstory? Do you kind of have like a picture for who she is where she is in this time, in this place. She was living up in Rochester, New York, and I think a town or a county called Chile, I think is how it's pronounced. Not Chile. Chile. You know, it's weird. I'm looking at her pictures and she Mm -hmm. reminds me so much of somebody I grew up with. um, Just looks wise. Me too. It's so weird you said that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also this person was a really just a fantastic athlete. So I'm already kind of I'm trying not to like put that personality on her. But um, 
I think also just because she was like you and I grew up in this era too, that she feels very familiar to us. Um, That's such a good way to put it. She feels incredibly familiar, Mm -hmm. incredibly familiar to me. So I guess I can get a bit further into some of her backstory and what happens beyond that of 2008. So come 2008, Brittany's parents did file for divorce. So this was her adopted father. He would be moving out. Chad is no longer going to be in the house. Brittany took the divorce really hard. Like there was a noticeable difference in her personality. Her family noticed it. Her friends noticed it. And even her grades began to suffer. But this was also a time where I think her biological father had actually re-entered the picture and he kind of wanted to make amends with his daughter, like foster a relationship, even though she was basically an adult at this point. So he started coming up to Rochester and he would meet with her and he would take her for day trips. They would go to lunches together, et cetera. And her mother knew this. It wasn't a secret by any means, but it was just kind of, it sounded like a heavy and confusing time, I could imagine, because Mm. what feels like maybe she's losing one father figure who's, you know, now going to not be a a part of her day-to-day life. She's kind of gaining another one with her biological father who now wanted to be a part of her life and take her out on weekends, et cetera. So this is all going on at about like 16, 17 at this time. That's how old she is. So she's really still a kid. She's a proper teenager when all of this is happening. And it's, I would imagine it's a lot to carry. And I think that this is a good setup for why Brittany kind of does what she does in the next phase of the story. Would you agree? I mean, I know you don't know what happens in the next phase of the story, so I'm like, you agree, right? (laughs) Well, I think anytime a biological parent like comes back into the picture, that's such a Mm -hmm. tough thing to reconcile with, even when you're a, you know, a 45 year old woman or or whatever, like let alone a teenager. So I'm sure she's in a kind of, she's not on fully stable ground at this moment in time. Totally. Totally. I, it's interesting you bring that up because I don't know if you're thinking of this, but this also partially reminded me of the setup to Michaela Bali. And I think it has to do with like our theory about like someone possibly catfishing her pretending to be her biological father. Yes. It started to make me think about this. This is not that scenario at all. I mean, this absolutely was her father. Um, It just made me think of it for some reason, like a young Mm -hmm. teenage girl who's kind of in the midst of like living in a a family again with a single mother and trying to reconcile a relationship as a teenager or wanting to reconcile a relationship as a teenager with your other biological parent. Sure. And also the added element of like, when you're that age and you've got a boyfriend, you're starting to date. It's like, yeah, you really you you want to have, you know, your father to like look up to and kind of, you know, someone that'll make sure the guy is, you know, taking care of you and protecting you or whatever. So I'm sure him coming in to the picture and she's also got this boyfriend. I'm sure it was just a lot. Totally. Yeah. And even if it's just to, you know investigate it for yourself when you're that age. Mm-hmm. You just want questions to be answered. You just want to know, you know, why weren't you a part of my life for so long? Like maybe it's it's just a stepping stone in that direction that she was willing to take and she wanted to do so before she would go off to college or whatever mm-hmm. she would do for schooling afterwards. So then when does this all go down? When does our story happen? It is spring 2009. We would arrive at the time of spring break for most students, which we said before we got on, in most cases, falls between March to April. Not 
from March to April, but one week usually in either of those months. Now, there was a party going on down in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, which was kind of being put together by her friends. It was going to be like a like a spring break trip for all of them. They're all about 17. So it's a group of her girlfriends. She's even got a guy friend in there. I saw a report that said her boyfriend came down for the trip. That's not true. I don't, th- I mean, somebody can correct me, but I don't think that's true. I think he stayed back up in New York because they were texting and he knew that she was going down there with like her girlfriends and I think like this one guy friend. So Brittany asked her mom, Dawn, you know, if she can go. She was like forthright about it. And her mom was super against it because Brittany's 17 at the time. She's not well-traveled between states solo. And she figures, okay, this is going to be a bad situation because it's a bunch of high school kids, no supervision. There's definitely going to be booze or drugs. So she's like, absolutely not. You're not going. So Brittany came back to her mom and she kind of pitched like a compromise, like an alternate idea. And she's like, well, how about instead of like the unsupervised trip to Myrtle Beach, I still want to do something on spring break. Can I go to my friend's beach house up near Lake Ontario? It's going to be supervised, like their parents are going to be there, and it's a lot closer to home. Her mom had no reason to assume that Brittany would cause any sort of trouble or would ever lie, you know, because she had initially Mm -hmm. come to her with the truth. So I think that kind of quelled those fears. And Brittany was considered a good kid. But again, 16, 17, and dealing with some of the tumultuous stress of the divorce, reconciling with her biological dad, things were starting to change. And like she wanted to have a little bit of independence and freedom. So she lied to her mom and said she was going to go up to this friend's house. She fully intended to go down to Myrtle Beach with her friends. Mm. So that's what happened. It would prove to be a fateful decision. So basically what happened was on the day of when they were going to leave, her mom saw her get into the car. I think this was April 22nd, 2009. Brittany departs, and in hindsight, her mom looked back on this, and she said, I couldn't explain it, but in that moment, I had a deep like, pit in my stomach that something was mm. really wrong, even though in her mind, she you know, said, like, I know she's just going to her friend's house up near the lake, but she's like, something feels really wrong about her going on this trip. I don't, I don't know why. Mm. Mother's intuition. I was going to say, I was like, you can call it mother's intuition, but she really felt like something something bad was going to happen, but she didn't want to seem hysterical. Mm-hmm. So what are your initial thoughts just on the setup to this trip and that nobody really knows about it except for Brittany's friends? Oh, it's, it's painful because when you are deceitful like that, and I'm, I say deceitful, I don't want it to sound so negative because I think that teenagers make these kinds of you know, decisions all the time where they do the thing they're not supposed oh, yeah. to it's, do. It's a white lie. Like it's not, yes. it's, it's not serious. But when you are deceitful, it's going to make it so much harder for things to, for someone to find you quickly or for people to piece together mm-hmm. where you might be. Like you've created a level of distance now between people finding you faster. Um, and especially, I mean, that fi- here's the deal. That physical distance from Rochester to Myrtle Beach compared to Rochester to Lake Eight hundred miles south. Yeah. I mm-hmm. mean, that's already that's a big difference. Um, so unfortunately, it breaks my heart because I I am sure, based on what you're telling me, you know, she didn't choose to do this from some kind of like screw you mom place. She just wanted to have fun. 
Um, but it was just yeah. That's what I mean, she was, was basically feeling. an adult. You can put yourself in like those shoes and like I remember what it was like to be seventeen and like feel mm-hmm. like I thought I could. I at seventeen, I thought I could have taken a trip to Mexico with my friends. Like I was. Yeah, you're just in a headspace where you really believe. Like yeah, you really believe in your own invincibility and your own independence and trust in yourself. So. I agree with you. I think that that's where she was coming from. I don't think this was coming from a place of like her trying to be, I don't know, maliciously deceitful against her mom or anything. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of like, come on, like I'm a senior in, in high school, like give me a break. So they leave for this trip in this car, her and the girlfriends, they go 800 plus miles south down to Myrtle Beach. And basically what I was piecing together, the timeline suggests they pretty much drove through the entire night. I don't know how long that drive would usually take somebody, but they're in Myrtle Beach by the next morning, the 23rd. That's got to be like an overnight drive, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, when we used to drive from, uh, you know, Atlanta up to where I'm from, I mean, that's a seven hour trip. And those states, those are two states Mm. apart. So, I mean, I'm sure that was over a 10 or 11 hour trip for them because Rochester also, I'm pretty sure is like upstate New York. It is a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think this is what I found interesting from this, and I don't want to speak out of turn here, but the initial reporting that I found suggested that she was going with a group of girls that she wasn't particularly close with. This plays into a little bit later in the story, but not inherently suspicious. It was just, um, it was a different vibe. Like it wasn't, it wasn't as comfy as like people you're wicked familiar with, like that kind Mm -hmm. of road trip. Right. So she's with this group Mm -hmm. of girls. There's the one guy friend, Peter. I think he's in the mix. And she's going to be staying in a hotel or like some kind of like lodging with these girls. And the guy friend is going to be staying in a separate hotel. His name was Peter Broshevitz, I believe is how it's pronounced. I think they're like best friends at the time. I don't know this for sure, but if I had to guess, maybe he's like gay best friend kind of vibes. That's what I got. I just think of like one guy friend who's like coming on the trip with all the girls. Mm-hmm. Don't know for sure, though. So during the first first few days, right, it's like exactly what you would imagine. It's lots of beach time. They're playing volleyball on the beach. You might even have a picture in there somewhere, maybe of them on the beach. Maybe I didn't. Okay. Maybe I didn't. But I, well, I saw her on a balcony and I thought maybe she, that was her on the hotel balcony or something. I think it is. No, I think it is. I think you're right. But it's all around the same time. It's bars, it's clubbing, and I'm assuming they had fake IDs if they were getting into these places. But come the evening of the 25th, this is where things go down. Tensions are running very high, right? And I I swear that this just happens when you're like young and you're traveling with friends and you don't have like adult supervision for a little bit, or if it's your first time as like a young adult traveling, you just like push each other's buttons, right? Like you step on toes really quick. Mm-hmm. Brittany reportedly got into an argument with one of the girls she was staying with. She stormed off. And I think she was only like minutes away from where Peter was staying. He was in the Blue Resort Hotel. So she's off on foot. And from what I can gather, he's staying there. He's in a separate room. We have CCTV footage, which you will see if you scroll down a little bit further. That's her walking at 8 p.m. on the night of the 25th on South Ocean Road. She made her way to his hotel, and within minutes, you can see her on the lobby camera that's also in those pictures. Mm-hmm. Brittany walks in, comes through the doors. She goes up to Peter's room. So she came in. She talked to him. He 
eventually tells this to police. She described the argument. It sounded very low stakes. Like it mostly just sounded like girls getting on each other's nerves because they were traveling. They were away from home. Maybe the money was like running a little bit out and they're like a little nervous, but it's a petty argument. That's the consensus, right? Then at around 8.30 p.m. that night, Brittany gets a text from one of the girls saying, this is like one of the girls she was having an argument with. The girl is like doing something even more petty. And she's like, give me back the shorts that I lent you because she's wearing the shorts. So by 8.45, Brittany reluctantly goes downstairs, leaves Peter's room. We see her on camera again. She is alone. She leaves the hotel on foot to go return the shorts. This footage is the last time Brittany is ever seen on camera. So let's just call out a few things here. We know that it's dark outside. It's 8.45 p.m., almost 9 p.m. She is on foot. She's going to be walking, you know, several minutes away, probably about 10 minutes away to get back to the original resort where the girls are staying down South Ocean Road. At the time, she's in contact with her boyfriend, John. So she's texting him basically while she's walking. Maybe it's like a comfort thing just to, you know, because she's alone. And she's kind of explaining, you know, what had happened. Like, oh my God, like we were arguing about this and then this happened. Something strange goes down. In the middle of their conversation, she abruptly stops responding. And I kind of mentioned this before I was hinting at it. This is very unlike her. She is not the type of person who just like, leaves you hanging on text. She usually closes out a conversation before she knows she's going to like put her phone away for a while. So she just like halts with texting and it kind of freaked him out. And he was like, babe, are you there? Hello? Hello? Tries calling her a couple of times. No answer. This is also very unlike her. So she starts, he gets exceedingly concerned. He's like, something could have happened because he knows again that she's on foot, right? So he's starting to panic. So then he basically puts out an ultimatum and he's so worked up. He's like, Brittany, if you don't respond to me, I'm going to call your mom. Like it's, it's that like dire and serious to him. No answer. So he ends up panicking a little bit and he waits, I think an hour or two. And in that hour or two, he's attempting to contact basically everyone he can, who's on that trip with her, all of the girls. And he was like, is Brittany there? Like, have you seen her? Has anybody talked to her? And of course, nobody, including Peter, has seen Britney since 8.45. This was enough for him to take action and call her mother. So let's pause there. How are we doing? Uh, okay, I have spent so much time in Myrtle Beach, like growing up, and I'm sure there's a bunch of creepers that are familiar with it, but if you're not familiar with Myrtle Beach, it's truly like growing up, we used to kind of giggle and call it like the Las Vegas of the South. Like it is at, a certain time gonna be like up to no good time and the thought of her really being so even that young, early like 9 p.m 9 p.m is one thing but i mean the thought of it being dark and her walking down i'm not exactly sure like where ocean road is but like if you're like on the boardwalk there or you know near certain bars or whatever i mean it gets, it's really close to the water i think there's a map okay there too okay yeah, yeah. Um, i think i have a map of like her last known like her whereabouts okay. based on like foot traffic and some cell phone data. I'll get into that in okay. a little bit. Um, but I mean, it's making my stomach turn because I'm just like, oh, like I just know the types of, you know, characters that are kind of like out there at a certain time of night. Um, and oh, God, the fact that that's the last footage is like her leaving that picture for leaving the hotel. And it's like it's a freaking dusk. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's like freaking me out. What scares me about it is just the abruptness of the conversation. Because, I mean, seemingly, she's walking for a little bit and everything's fine. She's texting her boyfriend. She's in contact with somebody. And then the abrupt stop is what freaks me out. Yeah. Like she was taken or something. Yeah. Or something happened where suddenly she no longer has access to her phone, dropped her phone. Like there's a lot of like, it's a lot of ambiguity to what went down in that moment. And it's such a tight window, like a really tight window. So yeah, I'm going to keep pressing on all of her friends. They basically say they're like, we have not seen her. John freaks out. He calls the mother. The mom is obviously shocked because up, up until this point, she thought her daughter was in an entirely different place. And now she's getting this call in real time saying Brittany is 800 miles down south and nobody can find her. The instant guttural panic that like you would feel as a parent, I can't even really, I can't really understand. Truly, I can't understand what that must feel like. Yeah, I've thought about that so many times. Like, do you even, like, do you just immediately get in your car and go? Like, I mean, that's what I would do. But do you even have time to plan? Like, would it be faster for me to take a flight? Like, do I, like, I just, or are there some parents that are just in shock? They almost like can't move. It's so scary. Oh, she takes action right away. She she yeah. wastes no time. So, I mean, she calls 911 immediately and she reports her daughter missing and they actually connect her down to South Carolina to the Myrtle Beach area. Because again, this is a missing minor who seemingly was on foot in the middle of the night and now is nowhere. So her and Chad, the adoptive father, even though they're now divorced, they immediately get together. They fly straight down to Myrtle Beach to meet with police. Surprisingly, a lot of this is very swift. Like, I think by the next day, they, there are like flyers up. You can even see a picture of that, I think, if you scroll down a bit. But they were asking anybody they could if they had seen her. And what really shocked me was just how little information there was. There's virtually no witness, no witness who claimed to see Brittany after 8.45 p.m. that night. Like not a single person comes forward. That's so weird because it's such a busy like place. That's what I'm that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, you know, I know it's nighttime, but like again, it's spring break. It's right by the water. It's right near like it's between resorts. Like people are on foot, you know? Yeah. Cars are know, driving by, so no one saw her. Yeah. It, I mean, it really could. When I said Panama City Beach at the beginning, Myrtle Beach is just like that. I mean, at spring break, it's really? chaos. So, I mean, that could also be the reason why everybody's doing their own thing, partying, and this girl That's a kind good of point. slips yeah. through the cracks. Having too many people in one concentrated place can also be can be just as damaging as having virtually no one there. Like if someone asked me mm-hmm. if I had seen somebody, like witnessed somebody, like in Times Square, for example, I would never be able to say like whether or not right. I saw someone. Because it's just a sea of like faces. So County did jump in pretty quick to this, I will say, um, because they took it seriously as a missing minor. And I'm actually not sure what came first, if it was the Natalie Holloway case or if this came first. But if Natalie Holloway did come first, I think that's part of why action was so swift on this. Because again, it was another like young high school age girl who went missing under mysterious circumstances on like a school or like spring break vacation, right? She just wandered off into the night. Nobody has a clue as to where she went. So police, they go in, they check parks, they check beaches, the shoreline, dumpsters, abandoned buildings. Nobody has any idea where she could have gone. Now, 
The only clue that we do have in this investigation, as I mentioned before, is the cell phone data. While she stopped texting her boyfriend sometime between 8.45 to 9, very abruptly, her phone was not shut off and it did ping in several different locations. So we do have a few different points where we know she was that were beyond that of South Ocean Road. Brittany's phone first pinged in Surfside Beach later that night. And I think that's a couple of miles south of Myrtle Beach. You can look at that map and tell me if that looks familiar or you know that area at all. Yeah. Um, Surfside Beach. I've definitely heard of Surfside Beach, but I'm trying to. See. It's pretty close. Blow it up. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. No, I mean, I know where that is. Um, but I mean, but for her to be on foot and to get down there, somebody would well, have here's, taken her down there. Here's the next thing. Well, I mean, a couple of miles could be like feasible. The next time it pings, 50 miles south in Georgetown yeah. that night. Yeah, that makes sense. We're in somebody's car. Yeah. We're in somebody's car. And then later that night, the phone is turned off completely, was never turned on again, is never found. Police use this as a jump off point because they assumed this is definitely a case of abduction. That's the most logical possibility here. So the homes of most registered sex offenders residing in both Myrtle Beach and Georgetown were searched, as well as motels, swamps, bogs, lakes, anything they could think of. Again, there is no evidence to speak of. Brittany was on foot, and then somehow, somehow she disappeared within minutes, right off the side of the road. Hmm. Before we get into the next phase of the story, just any thoughts on the actual disappearance of this case before we dive into the investigation? (sighs) I wish, and I know, like, I'll probably do this after we get off, like, exactly where that hotel is, because I have stayed in Myrtle Beach enough to, like, kind of think of how close she was to, like, the quote-unquote strip, and, like, thinking about if she mm-hmm. was walking on foot, like, how fast somebody, like, would have nabbed her, sort of. Um, Let me look at oh, it. Well, it's the Blue it's Resort Hotel. Chilling. That's where she was coming from, Peter's Hotel. So, yeah. maybe you should look that up. Let me see. Yeah, let me see. If- Blue Resort Hotel. Myrtle. I mean, hopefully it's still there. Yeah. It hasn't been that long. Hotel Blue. Or I guess, I I guess it's, it's called Hotel renamed. Blue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this was pretty big news, national news. So I could imagine that the last per- place where this girl was seen, that could be like a damning association. Yeah. I'm sure it definitely, I mean, this story definitely hurt tourism, which I think was the argument that people made, again, in the Natalie Holloway case that like, it was hurting the tourism of Aruba because suddenly it was deemed as like a very unsafe and scary place to go. Right. I think it got renamed. Do you see it's it? It's like, I'm trying to see how close it is to like the strip. Um, let's see. I mean, you, I can see from these pictures just on images, like it's right at the water. I don't know okay. if that's what you mean by like the strip and like the boardwalk well, the, area. The, yeah. There's like, like certain little pockets where it'll be like, Lots of little bars and then, but there's also like one other area I'm thinking of that's like, you know, Broadway at the beach, which is like this long boardwalk with a bunch of, but it's, it's more like family friendly. What I'm thinking of is what you're probably looking at, which is like kind of the more like divey, seedier bars that are Mm -hmm. like beach bars all along the beach where to be honest, like there are some where I've walked into them before and it's like, I mean, I grew up going to beach bars. There's always going to be kind of like a a beach bummy crowd in some of those bars. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm just, I'm imagining her like 
maybe walking past and like somebody kind of like, you know, I don't know, hitting on keeping her, an eye on or, her something. or something. Yeah, 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 keeping an eye on her and thinking, oh, here's this like, you know, young thing walking past. Oh, God. I actually, I initially thought, well, she had been on foot when she actually came over to Peter's hotel and she did not stay for very long, right? She just went up to the room. She was venting about the argument and then the girl had texted her and she was like, give me my shorts back. So she's pretty much like immediately on her way out. It almost made me think I was like, was she followed? Like, did someone like catch her on her way to the hotel? And then when she went upstairs, then she came out and they were like, okay, how, like, how often am I going to get like the second chance to like grab her type of thing? Right. Well, that, that's the other thing I was thinking is that, oh, okay. I did. I finally got it. It is, it's close to everything. Um, it is kind of in the mm-hmm. center of everything. That was the other thing I was thinking is that like a lot of times at those beach bars, like they're outside or, you know, there's people that are kind of hanging around outside drinking and whatever, or just kind of chilling on the mm-hmm. sidewalk. Like they totally probably saw her walk by the first time and then saw her again. I am sorry. I just got wrapped up. I'm on booking.com. I just got wrapped up in the resort. It's so cheap. <laughs> Is is this is Myrtle Beach well, known to be like extremely cheap? Yeah, Myrtle Beach is pretty cheap. Is it okay? I've I've never been, so I was I was just like surprised by these prices. I was like, these are not resort prices, are they? Well, it's kind of like so, um, yeah. My we'll ass get trying into to get that. a deal. That's a, that's I'm on booking.com. Like, sorry, <laughs> I'm like that's an after. Myrtle Beach is also an after dark episode. I'll just say that. Add it to the list. Add it to that list. <laughs> so where are we at now? The case does go cold for quite a while. Her mother was so insistent on the possibility of bringing Brittany home, whether her daughter was dead or alive. Because again, don't forget, this case goes on for like more than 10 years. So her mom was so dedicated to it, she relocated down to South Carolina full time. And she had a mission. I'm going to bring home my daughter. I'm going to find my daughter. And she never, ever let up. I could get a little bit into the first major lead that kind of comes from this, but I really, I was very hesitant to bring this up because I don't want to distract too much from the story. But in the timeline of the investigation, I think this is like an important note to hit because we don't hear anything. Like Brittany's case is a complete mystery until 2016. And I think this sort of fed the fire until 2019. An initial claim came in from an inmate who was currently serving time. His name was Taquan Brown. He made a claim about a man named Timothy Deshaun Taylor, who I think may have also been incarcerated at the time for a robbery charge. He claimed that this man was the culprit behind Brittany's abduction and murder. His story goes like this. Before his time in prison, so this is back in like 2009, he'd actually made a stop at a stash house, which was owned by Timothy's father, right? This was located in a town that was very, very close to the very last place that Brittany's phone had pinged. So, so far, sounds somewhat credible, still listening. While he was there to drop off, he claims that he saw Timothy sexually assaulting Brittany in the middle of the room. And then she took the opportunity when this guy had basically opened the door to like wiggle her way out, try to make an escape, run to the door. He claims she was grabbed by Timothy, brought into the next room, And then he heard two gunshots and that was all he saw of the situation. So this was the first major declaration of anybody, anybody claiming that they knew what happened to Brittany. So it was taken extremely seriously. But again, 
this is coming from a somewhat unreliable source because we've seen this before with people who like try to pin things on other folks when they're in prison, you know, or they try to get other people to take the fall. There's false accusations, etc. There was nothing to really substantiate that Timothy had ever even met Brittany or that he even knew who she was prior to her disappearance. So it seemed like an attempt to exploit her case as a way to pin something horrific on this guy, but there was no real connection in the evidence. Once again, come 2019, despite continued suspicions, the case is once again back in the category of cold. So whatever happened to Brittany was something that her family really thought would be unanswered because this whole situation with Timothy kind of turned out to be a dead end. They just know that she's probably dead and they're probably going to die not knowing what happened to Brittany. But then in 2022, everything changed. How are we doing with that? That's, well, I was just thinking, oh my God, I cannot believe it took seven years for them to get a lead. Like that is it's so I, just, I don't know how parents do that. I really don't. I was about to spoil something. I won't, I'm going to save it for the end of the story, but okay. let's just say it could be a case of County once again, dropping that ball. No. <laughs> once again, the ball is on the floor and it is rolling. It is the rolling. Ball is underground. So now we're in 2022. It's crazy like how recent the actual break in this case was because again, people kind of deemed Britney's case sort of like that of a Natalie Holloway where we're just like, we're never going to know what happened. You know, it's a terrible tragedy, a cautionary tale of spring break. In May of 2022, this sent shockwaves through the news. Britney's case was alive again. In the Georgetown County Detention Center, a confession came forward from a man named Raymond Moody. Raymond was an older man at this point. He was incarcerated, and he came, just to give you a little bit of backstory, he came from a very dark childhood of abusive and very alcoholic parents. There is also a claim that he might have been very, very severely sexually abused as a child. He eventually went on in his 20s to join the military, and I think he moved over to California at the time, or he was stationed there. By the time he was out, he was a married man with three children and seemed to be living a somewhat normal life. But Raymond's history is a very troubling one, as he was a convicted sex offender by the time he reached, I think, his 30s or 40s. Back in 1983, even with three young kids of his own, he was caught and convicted for sexually abusing three separate children, all under the age of 14 years old. Now, this would land him 42 years to his sentencing. They sent him to prison for 42 years. He would only ever serve 21 of those years. He served half his sentence and was out on parole come 2004. So he had another incident, I think, at that time between like 2004 to 2010, um, where he was, again, like caught for indecent exposure in public. Um, but that was more of like a slap on the wrist. By 2010, he's relocated to South Carolina. He failed to register as a sex offender which ultimately landed him back in prison. So this is like where we fast forward to 2022. He's already incarcerated. The year prior, 2009, the year that Brittany disappeared, Raymond was a free man at that time. So now he enters the fold of this story. Now, what is really chilling about Raymond's connection to this is that county police had actually already ruled the guy out. 
which was a mistake. Oh, God. They had searched his home more than a decade ago during the initial suspicion, again, like I said before, that a sex offender could have been involved in Brittany's logical abduction. But they found no evidence, and they took his alibi as credible. More than 13 years after the fact, they believed that Raymond was just a guy who was not registering as a sex offender. He was so much more. He came forward, and he confessed that he was the culprit behind her abduction, her rape, and her murder. He was no. responsible for what happened to 17-year-old Brittany Drexel on the night she disappeared in 2009. A case that was thought to be unsolvable finally had its end to the story. But the question is, how did it all happen? So I'm going to fill you in. I'm going to go through like what we know happened after 8.45 p.m. that night based on his confession. But did you see the story taking a turn like that? I'm, I'm always shocked by confessions that come out for these cases that are like more than a decade old. I didn't. Um, and is he the person in the photo? Uh, photo yes. 13. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, whew. He is... Honestly, it's just weird. I'm looking at him and I like can imagine that type of person just like coming up to her and saying, you know, how like he looks like relatively, I don't know what's happening with his eye, but like relatively looks like a normal kind of older gentleman. I mean, coming up to her and saying like, you having fun on spring break? What are y'all doing? You know, like Mm -hmm. it's just. Watches on the side of the road kind of thing. Yeah. It's making my stomach turn. Well, he was actually, I mean, it's weird to think because I think I had confused the timeline of this and it just seemed like so long ago. It really wasn't that long ago because he's 79 now. He was 65 at the time of abducting her. So he was was an older guy. Yeah. And maybe, I mean, maybe that played into what you're talking about where her guard was down or she just thought it was like, I don't know, like a creepy, like kind of townie who was like, do you need a ride, sweetheart kind of thing? Yeah. Or just like he actually paternal in a weird way could have been it it could have been yeah i mean he we could we'll never actually know because all we really have to go off of is his confession of what happened but i'm going to walk through the actual moment of like 8 45 beyond or 8 45 beyond 2 9 p.m where suddenly she stops texting the boyfriend so according to raymond's confession in 2009 like i said when he was 65 years old he was driving along south ocean road that night when very opportunistically, he happened to see Brittany Drexel walking alone on the side of the road. He looked around. He saw that he was the only car that was around that road and nobody else was out on foot on this street. So he took the opportunity to pull over and in an instant, he managed to physically abduct her right off the street. There wasn't even a lead up with conversation. There wasn't like a how you doing? Do you need a ride kind of thing? It was pull over, grabs her, throws her in the car. He's driving. So that's why her cell phone pinged in those two different locations that night. There were no witnesses who ever saw this, and it was far away enough from any CCTV camera that no one ever captured it on camera. So we had no idea this happened. He then drove her to an undisclosed location in a wooded area. This was very far away, about 50 miles from the area so far that no one would be able to hear her scream. This is very triggering, but he then brought her out of his car. 
he repeatedly sexually assaulted her in the woods that night until eventually he strangled her to death right on the dirt. By the following morning, he had taken the body to another wooded area that was actually on his property and he had buried her four feet underground. This claim was shocking for police, but it did lead them to the exact location that he described where they would in fact find the remains four feet underground. The skeleton of Brittany Drexel, which was positively identified via dental records. Her family, although devastated beyond anything that you and I could probably imagine, finally had an answer to what happened to Brittany. All of those years of suspicion around her friends, the other suspects like Timothy, all of it fell away. It was Raymond and Raymond alone. Oh my God, that just, oh, I mean, it it makes me want to cry because I just hate to think that, oh, had she just made a different choice to not go down there to do the thing, you know, that it's just, it's just, oh, to know there could have been a different outcome. There almost was a different outcome. Had Raymond actually served the entirety of his 42 year sentence? Yeah, he never even go. would have been a free man to have interacted with Brittany. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. There's lots of conversations about this, about the possibility. I mean, this is a damning case for talking about reform, but reform doesn't only come from confinement. Reform comes from psychotherapy. Reform comes from a lot of different, like, personal work on the psyche of the individual. So to talk about somebody who was imprisoned and just confined for 21 years and then was released thinking that they were reformed and then they went right back to being a predator, in fact, a murderer. It's, there's two different conversations happening there. Like, I see why both people, both sides of this are like pushing an argument about it. But truthfully, if he had still been in prison serving those 42 years, the story would have never even happened. We would have never known her name. But what was, I guess, equally shocking was that with this confession, other women came forward. This was not like a siloed experience or anything. And I think there was a woman who came forward. There were girls young as eight years old who came forward to talk about experiences they had when they were children where they were assaulted by this man on playgrounds in their youth. Or there was even one of an attempt to abduct an eight-year-old. And the way that the girl remembered him and was able to identify him later was that he had a green, like mint green bumper sticker on the back of his car. This was later tied to him because this was a bumper sticker that you had. It was like a, like a plate sticker if you were going into like a military base. Because don't forget, he's mm. a veteran. Okay. So that that was like what made the positive um, connection, basically, that this was the same guy. And it was just shocking that, you know, Brittany's case like resurrected a lot of like these buried feelings for a lot of these different women who were victims of him. Eventually... The only clue that we would get into Raymond's mind, because there's no, this is all so recent. Like, I really can't communicate, like, how new some of this information is. Like, so many people have covered this case, and it was always just thought to be, like, unsolvable. No one's really formally, like, interviewed him to talk about, like, why did you do it? Why did you do this? Raymond actually has a relationship with someone in prison, this guy named Ernie. I I couldn't find his last name, but... He is the closest clue in that I could find as to like anybody being able to interview somebody who's close to Raymond and be like, why did you do this? He said that he once asked Raymond, you know, why are you like this? Why 
why do you do these things, these horrible things? And Raymond talked about how he's had these compulsions for as yeah. long as he could remember. Like he's had this like feeling that he's always wanted to do these things, these sexually deviant things or like hurt people from even when he was young, but he never acted on it. He always stifled it. But then as he got older, he felt like he couldn't control it. And then he said the very first time that he did something, all of it changed. All of it became easy after doing it once. And then he couldn't stop. So in the aftermath of all of this, I mean, Raymond, he did reappear in court, I think as recently as last year. And he would plead guilty to the abduction, the assault, the murder, and the burial of Brittany Drexel. And he was sentenced to life in prison where he remains to this day. And he's nearly in his 80s at this point. The family was asked about this. Brittany's family. And they have spoken about the feeling of justice that they've so long awaited to see not only what happened to Brittany, but to know that the person who did it to her is going to rot in prison. They talk a lot about her legacy and how they feel that even though the case is solved, her story can and should still live on as sort of a cautionary tale for just how quickly something bad can really go down. Even in an environment where it's spring break or it's a trip or it's a vacation, when you're not looking out for the bad, the bad finds you. Mm-hmm. Stu, that is the entirety of the case, the complete case of Brittany Drexel. Do we know if he killed anybody else that he assaulted? I don't think so. I think she was the first. Unless, yeah. I mean, creepers, like, keep me honest, like, I may have missed this in the research, but... All I could find was that because he was in prison for 21 years, so it's yeah. very possible that he may have he may have wanted to kill, but just it, there was never an opportunity. He's released by 2004, and then I think has like a little stint back in prison for the indecent exposure between 04 to 09, and then 09 is when he really takes action, an opportunistic yeah. abduction off the side of the road. Again, we say it all the time, so rare. So but it rare. does happen. It happens. The reason why I ask is because it does feel, and thank you for clarifying with that timeline, because what it feels like is that he had, you know, gone to prison, kind of done something like indecent exposure, which is not as grave of a, you know, thing as this. And then he just mm-hmm. saw her and had a mental like snap where he was like, I'm going to do it. And he did the thing. And it was something that he had told himself he wasn't ever going to do again. And then, like, mm-hmm. goes to the extremes to, like, kill her. And, but, like, it just feels like even he was horrified at that moment that he had gone back to doing it. I Well, I kind of thought that he would have had the inclination to try to kill way, way before. Yeah. I mean, Brittany came along. Because when he, before he had actually been sentenced to prison back in 83... There were cases of him trying to abduct, like, children. And there was a story that came out from a little girl. And she talked about, she was the one who remembered the bumper sticker. She talked about how she was nearly abducted by him, but she took an opportunity where he had his back turned and she started running towards, like, a random couple asking for help. And then he, like, you know, soared off in his car. But that very well could have been the initial, like, plot. Like, it just could have happened to a child. Yeah. Yeah. It would just be so, like, just 
it interesting is not the you know right word, but interesting and so sad if she was really the only person that he's ever like gone to these extremes for because it just oh god it was I, I so think wrong was, place though. wrong time it's so sad uh, yeah because the following year he was imprisoned in 2010 yeah for failing to register as a sex offender so again he's out of like the window of opportunity to actually kill anybody like abduct a girl so i do think she was the only one. Oh. <sighs> Creepers. Sorry to leave you on such a. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, my God. You know I'm what? It's sorry. making me think. This is really good that we're covering this because creepers. We don't want to, you know, scare you to death. But if you are a young and you're going to go and have like a really fun spring break, just be, you know, be careful and stick with your friends and take care of your friends because, like, it really is when you know you're having the most fun and you're carefree and you're at this age, like when somebody you know like this man can you know, take an opportunistic, even though it's super rare, which that should be, you know, some sort of, that should make you feel a little bit better that it is very, very rare from all the research you've told me about. Um, but just yeah. stick with well, your just friends. when your guard is careful. down, like you said. Yeah. Also, did, did you say if you're a young, not even a young woman, you just said, if you're a young like I, I think I said if you're young, if you're young. Oh, if, if you were young. Okay, gotcha. I turned thirty, and I'm like, if you're a young, if you're like, a young, I have my cane. <laughs> Maybe before we got on, we were talking about arthritis. We're talking about arthritis. Oh my god. <laughs> I I I would also say like I know that I've experienced this while traveling. Like if you get into like tiffs or, or fights with your friends. Don't leave your friends in situations where they're going to yes. be alone. If you have a fight at a bar or a club and like you guys storm off, like it's it's just really not the place or the time. I know things happen, but you cannot leave people alone in totally strange cities at night. You can't. And even if they say, you know, I don't want to be with you, leave me alone, call them a car, do the right thing. Get somebody back yeah, and make safely. sure you verify Don't that damn car. Alone. Yes, make sure you verify that car because there was a story actually. For a second, I thought this was going to be. There was another story in South Carolina. I think it was spring break where a girl got in a car that she thought was an Uber and it wasn't, and mm -hmm. she ended up getting Stu, abducted. I've done that. Yeah, I got into a car. In New York. I called a car, and it my Uber was like coming down. It was in New York. This was like years ago, and my Uber was coming down the road. So this car pulled up in front of me and stopped, and I just thought it was my Uber, so I got in. And, of course, if it was a stranger, they would be like, what are you doing in my car? But he just started driving. And then I got a notification on my phone, and it said, your Uber has been canceled because you never showed up. And I was like, that's <gasps> stupid. I'm in my Uber. And then I asked the guy, I was like, are you Uber? And he was like, no. <gasps> and I was like, who are you? And he was like, I'm just a, like a third-party like taxi service. Like I just pick people up. And I was like, oh, my God. I was like, do you take card? And he was like, no, I take cash. And I was like, girl, girl. <laughs> well, thank God he was oh. an actual driver. I thought you were going to say he was like, no, buddy, I just want to hang out with you and drive down Fifth Avenue. No, but that's what I'm saying, though, is like it can it happens so easily if your guard is down, like yeah. my guard was down. Like I was just assuming, I don't know, I was just assuming everything was fine. And then suddenly you end up in a stranger's car. I hear those sirens, baby. I know they're coming for me. Oh, yep. You've got the you beeps and I've got the sirens today. Wait, what beeps? Oh, like the car outside? 
I was like, I turned off my coffee maker, girl. Come on. No. <laughs> Come on. I think your coffee maker <sighs> turns itself off after the fifth pot. It's like, <laughs> you got to chill. <laughs> you got to relax. You want to hear something really foul? Listen, I don't yes. want anybody to judge me for this, but I, I came back from New York trip. I opened that coffee maker. I forgot to change it before I left. Mold. No. Mold. It happens. It happens. It, I can't tell you. It, I, I don't know happens. the last time I descaled my Keurig. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. I don't know the last Baby. time. Baby, <laughs> how many people have said that exact sentence? Baby, I don't know the last time I descaled my Keurig. <laughs> Stu, 2024. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> also, I... Coming back, I realized because there was so much rain when I left LA, and LA apartments are not designed for the rain. Like we we can't we can't handle it. I have water damage on my ceiling. No. Yes, I was like I had my glasses off again because I broke them, and I had my glasses off in bed, and I saw like these like little black dots like in the corner of my bedroom ceiling, and my vision's so bad. I was like, oh my god, are those a spider? Are those bugs? Oh my god! And I I caught up to like <laughs> go kill the spiders it's mold mold from no. the water damage baby take it from me and get, rectify that fast make it quick because oh, i had it was that in, in the moment <laughs> in the moment good i had that in my apartment in new york didn't make it quick and it the next rainstorm blew out literally a, <laughs> a hole and i was in the middle of the night water just coming into my leg Onto my leg. Stop. Stop. Yep. And I woke up and I was like, I'm leaving this godforsaken city. Was this what I know? I know that truly is like a, a last straw, like New York moment where you're like, you know what? The dream's not worth it. It's never been worth it. That's my quintessential. Like, there's got to be an easier way to make a million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> this is not it. It's not it. I did message my my property management and they they're coming to like, I guess, saw the ceiling out and replace it. And I'm like, it will fix the roof too in case we get another rainstorm, guys. Yeah. So I know we went way off from the case, but I truly needed to think about something else for a second. Yeah, I was going to say. I hope the creepers are in line. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we needed that. And also the creepers, if if you're preparing to go to spring break, you'll have a great time. You needed a little bit of levity, but be careful. Yeah, yeah. Just always be careful. Always be, you know aware of your surroundings it was the big thing that my movement professor in college always told us. He was like, you have to always be aware of your surroundings everywhere you go. And I think it was because he lived in Paris for a while and he got jumped so many times that he ended up becoming like a, like a black belt to just defend himself against all the people who jumped him on the street. <laughs> okay. In Paris. Going Sorry. off of your, there's got to be an easier way to make a million dollars. There's got to be an easier way to be safer. I don't need to go get my damn black belt, do I? Well, what's your alternative, baby? You getting a taser? <laughs> yeah. A little pepper t- spray? Yeah. A little pepper spray. I have to tell you what my dad says. This this is so weird. He always quotes, um, is it Filch from Harry Potter, where he goes, keep your wits about you. <laughs> and my dad will just do that to me as i'm getting ready to leave the house and like go out with friends i'm like please please go have a beer and watch football or something don't do this 
Oh God, I know he's just being <laughs> cautious. I know that feeling though. Like I, I get very nervous because I read so much true crime from my siblings. Like, yeah, anytime they take trips, I'm like, guys, do not mess around. Like, give me your numbers, give me your friends' numbers. Like, I want contacts for the hotel. I want yep. everything at my disposal. When my sister went to Costa Rica, I almost lost my mind. I almost <laughs> lost my mind because I had just come off of the heels of Billy Sanfrun and um. Yep. Oh my God, why can I not remember the other girl's name? Uh, I can't remember it either. San Froon and, oh, it starts with a K. What? Oh God, it's going to kill me. Oh, um, San Froon. Oh. Can you look it up? Chris Kremers. Chris Kremers. Chris, Chris Kremers. Yeah. Kremers. Yeah. Because they, they were lost in the rainforest and my sister was going with her best girlfriend to the rainforest. I was asking Jordan's friend if he had contacts in Costa Rica that I could get in touch with to like keep tabs on them. She didn't bring a lunacy uh, flash photography of any kind, did she? That's all I think about with that no. case is the freaking photos. That is that is genuinely one of the most sinister cases we have ever covered on this podcast. I'm so yeah. serious. I think about that case constantly. Yeah. Well, this is one somebody. Very um, like it kind of is. Yeah. I mean, spring like, breaky kind like, of vacation vibe. Or just like young, like first travel experiences. Like people, people have their guards down when they're young and they're traveling because they haven't experienced like what scary travel can look like or what it's like to be in a big city sometimes. Like I've heard friends, like from friends who were traveling even in Europe and they've seen things like go down on the train where like it almost looked like somebody could have gotten abducted or like something bad could have happened. I had a friend who was on the Eurorail and as the train stopped, somebody was getting off. They took a knife, sliced the bottom of their backpack, pulled out their computer, and got off the train. Oh, my God. Took them six seconds. Yeah. Six seconds. Ugh. So just be careful. Where am or I come now? to a safe place like Las Vegas <laughs> or Los Angeles <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or New York City. <laughs> or Washington, D.C., Exactly. Well, I feel like this is a good time to wrap it. Sue, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the complete case of Brittany Drexel. I feel like it's not often that we we cover cases that have this kind of closure where it truly is. It's it's like the final chapter to her story. Like he is in prison forever. It's so weird because it just like leaves me feeling almost like more anxious, actually. Than when we do like weird, the unsolved. All, I, I know what you mean because there's just like always a glimmer of hope sometimes with the unsolved yeah. that like, not even necessarily. I mean that we can assume that everybody will be found alive, especially for the older cases, but just that like something will come to fruition and justice will be served. It almost feels odd and like unsatisfying to know that like yes, he's going to prison forever, but I still don't feel satisfied with that outcome. Right. It's just it still doesn't feel fair to me. And yeah. I maybe that's inevitable and that's always the way these cases will feel even when you see people go to prison for life, but yeah, I just don't feel satisfied with the story in an odd way. Yeah. Well, I'm sending all my good uh energy towards her family. I know that that the last couple of years must have been really <sighs> tough for them. Even, I mean, just as recent as October 2023, when I think he was sentenced. I think that was when they truly may have experienced the first time in over 10 years of closure. 
Like this is the first time they can rest at night. I'm happy that we covered the case because as her mom has mentioned, despite this being the final chapter, it is a story that we should continue to tell. It's a legacy that we should continue to bring up as a cautionary tale for other young people who may be traveling, other young people who may find themselves in a bad situation. Watch your friends, watch your family, keep people safe, keep yourself safe and creepers. We're going to catch you on the next one, maybe an After Dark episode so everybody can come down from this one. (laughs) Yeah. Heavy. All right, guys, for now, we're going to say goodbye. And good luck, creepers. We love y'all. We love you. Bye, guys.